Blog Talk Radio. You want to reply the point? Okay. Mr. Vavrinka wants to reply the point. 15 on. Replay the Point. Today is a special Monday night edition of Replay the Point. Monday, May 22nd, 2017. Pete Z. Brown of Tennis Acumen, joined as always by Jared Pine of A Second Serb. Good evening, Jared. Good evening, Pete, and uh, happy birthday to Novak Djokovic as well. We get to be on the show for his 30th birthday. Yep, and uh, funny you snuck that in there because I was just about to say it, it, we were going to lead off a, a show not initially talking about the big four. Uh, we're going to go with the champion of Rome, but yes, indeed, happy 30th birthday, Novak Djokovic. So yet again, the big four leads the way. But uh, Jared, uh, just yesterday, uh, amazing performance by young Alexander Zverev. Uh, really no surprise with respect to those people who follow the sport of tennis. We've seen him knocking on the door here quite a bit the last couple of years, but uh, all congratulations to him. He did not face a break point in taking down the 30-time Masters 1000 champion Novak Djokovic to win his very first Masters 1000. Credit to the German. Yeah, absolutely. Um, once Nadal was out of the tournament, we, we had a situation where he had Djokovic, the 30-time champion, and a bunch of challengers who had never won uh, the tournament before. Zverev was the one that took advantage of the opportunity, and boy, what a serving performance in the final for him. Never really let Djokovic into the match. Um, just one of the most dominant serving performances we've seen this year, right up there with some of the stuff Nick Kyrgios was doing earlier in the year. Um, you know, Zverev's performance right up there, and to do it in his first Masters Series 1000 final, uh, that's a huge accomplishment. Completely agree. Probably the biggest thing on the stat sheet that jumps out at me, Jared, is Novak Djokovic, not even a sniff, did, did not have a breakpoint opportunity against Alexander Zverev. And as we talked about before the show, Zverev broke Djokovic to open the match and uh, really never looked back. All credit to him for uh, all that he was able to accomplish. And if if beating Djokovic wasn't enough, Jared, to, to win, uh, the names along the way that Zverev beat each and every round, Kevin Anderson, Victor Troitsky, Fabio Fognini, Milos Raonic, John Isner, and finally Novak Djokovic. Uh, no no gimmies in that whole run for Zverev along the way. Yeah, particularly that win against Fognini um, because he came into that match right after his big win against Andy Murray. So he came into that on fire in front of a home crowd, and Zverev just put, that, put an end to that pretty quickly, pretty easily. Um, but, yeah, great point. He really worked his way through a tough draw. And we talked about the certain points he had against Djokovic. He had to go against some big servers along the way in Raonic and Isner um, and then took a page out of their book as he knocked out the number two player in the world. Completely agree. And um, we're going to talk about a few players here, a lot of interesting results in, in Rome. But we're going to uh, talk now about the finalist in Rome Jared, uh, birthday boy Novak Djokovic, um, again, good litmus test with respect to what he was able to accomplish. Probably the biggest result 
everyone will be circling is the absolute dismantling of Dominic Team, dropping just one game in 59 minutes to uh, to make it into the final. And Jared, this was on a day where he actually had to complete his quarterfinal match against Del Potro earlier in the day. And um, nice results there for Djokovic, but uh, particularly against Team, who again had taken out Nadal the round before. Dominic Team playing some good tennis. We'll talk about him in a little bit. But uh, obviously Novak Djokovic, everybody was sort of waiting for this performance to take place. He did get it done. Uh, a friend of mine, Christopher Johnson of Grand Slam Magazine, been in the photo pit the last couple of weeks in Madrid and Rome. He was really l- elaborating, saying the fire is back with Djokovic. You can see it in his eye. He loves playing to the Roman crowd, if you will. He was beaming in press. Well, yeah, a lot of feel-good for him there. He, Unfortunately for Djokovic fans, didn't get the job done on Sunday. But I want to ask you, uh, with respect to what he was able to do this week in Rome, uh, has he has he gotten back on track, or uh, if not completely, what percentage do you think he's at at this point? Oh, obviously, it's hard to put a number to it, but there's no doubt this is a big step in the right direction for him. It's kind of a unique week. Uh, he had a tough matchup against Juan Martín del Potro. That's um, a rivalry that's gone back for a few years now, and those two are very tough competitors. That was a big match for Djokovic. And then for he, he won the first set 6-1, a very dominant performance, won six games in a row, and was down 1-2 in the, in the second set when out of nowhere, really, just a huge thunderstorm came through uh, the courts in Rome. Play was canceled for the day, had to be moved over to the next day. And as you mentioned, he had to finish that match against Del Potro and then go on and play Dominic Team just a few hours later and then dismantles Team, beats him 6-1, 6-0. I think that match right there was certainly Djokovic's best match of 2017, and you really got to go back quite a ways to find the last time Djokovic played that well. I mean, we're talking early 2016, um, maybe his win over Federer at Australian Open. Um, That was such a huge performance for Djokovic. And also, I, I just wanted to bring this up, we mentioned it's Djokovic's 30th birthday. That means all the top five players in the world right now are at least 30 years old. And I was thinking about this earlier today. I'm guessing that's probably never happened before in tennis history. I was trying to think of a time where it might have happened, and I don't think we even get close. I mean, you've you got to go back a long ways just to find the last time four of the, last, four of the top five were in their 30s. So for all five to be in their top 30, it says a lot about the state of tennis right now. Um, you got Nadal, Djokovic, Federer, Murray, and Vavrinka as your top five. Um, very different complexion than probably what people expected 10 years ago. Well, completely agree. And guys would be, you know, retiring or thinking about retiring at this point in their career. Obviously, what we're seeing, the top five are 30, age 30 or, or older. And uh, I think a lot of it has to come into this, uh, Jared. Guys are taking care of themselves better. They're, they've got the money to uh, to have an entourage, and by that I mean physios. They're eating the right way. The technology has come into play. And good Lord, I mean, the money that can be made uh, even in doubles right now is, is phenomenal. And uh, why not? And uh, what we're seeing right now are guys like Farinka having the best years of his career as he continues to get older. I mean, Ivo Karlovic is seated in the 20s for Roland Garros, Jared, and uh, he's 38. Uh, Haas, you know, had a couple nice wins, uh, uh, even older. So, uh, yeah, absolutely, absolutely right. And um, I agree with you, 
probably Novak Djokovic's best match, uh, possibly even back to Australia last year. I know that, uh, you know, looking after he beat, after he won Roland Garros, yes, he won Canada, uh, but uh, really didn't play all that well in, in, in getting through that. So I was wondering myself when his last good match was and a uh, solid match. And I'll go back to Australia last year as well against Fed. And um, Jared Dominic team plays Nadal three times on the, on the European clay court season. He dropped a couple of finals along the way, but uh, got, got Nadal in straight sets this time. Big win for team uh, has to do wonders for his confidence, but uh, unfortunately for him, uh, didn't have the answers against Djokovic. Uh, he's saying that uh, it, it's a matchup problem for him, and you know what well, we've seen this bad, bad matchups uh, for guys against other guys in the ATP tour. And uh, do you buy into that that uh, Djokovic has team's number, or was team just uh, a little bit ecstatic uh, by finally taking Nadal out? Yeah, I think that's definitely a part of it where you have that emotional high followed by a bit of a low in the next round. Um, it's been said the one thing tougher than beating Nadal on clay is beating the next opponent after a win over Nadal. Uh, it's just so rare that it happens. For whatever reason, beating Nadal takes so much out of Nadal's opponents that they rarely go on to have success in the next round. And um, I think another aspect of it is Dominic team is a player that gets better and better as he gets more familiar with his opponents. We see this with Nadal. He loses to him a couple times, learn from it, learns from it, beats him the third time. Um, he had huge issues with Milos Raonic the first time he played him, has made some adjustments and done better against Raonic. Um, he had huge issues the first time he played a tour-level event on grass, made some adjustments, did better. So I think team's a player that's very good at making adjustments, uh, but in match adjustments, not so much. So I think after having played Djokovic once, he's going to be more prepared for it the next time. Um, obviously, they did play in, at the Roland Garros semifinals last year as well. Um, that was a while ago. But it, I think if they meet in Roland Garros again this year, I think teams are going to have a much better result than what we saw in this meeting. Good call. I, I like that a lot. And um, going to shift gears right now, Jared, to Rafael Nadal, who is an absolute fire. European clay court season swept everything coming into Rome, uh, that being Monte Carlo, Barcelona, and Madrid. I still have to question Nadal deciding to play Barcelona. He's a Spaniard. I get it. Uh, it's a, it is a 500-level tournament, however. Uh, this would have been had he won Rome. Jared, the first time he had, would have ever won all four of these tournaments. Uh, obviously, that didn't happen with him exiting to team. But um, all of a sudden, Nadal, who is uh, head and shoulders uh, overwhelming favorite to win Roland Garros. A couple things happen here. He loses. Uh, team gets him. Uh, Novak Djokovic showing all kinds of signs of improvement. And Alexander Zverev wins the title. So instead of a Nadal versus everybody per se uh sure i think he's still the favorite but at the same point in time now we've got a handful of other guys who uh, i think have a real shot um question should nadal have played rome or uh should he have maybe skipped barcelona and uh have that week off in between and then gone back to back madrid rome i i i opt for skipping barcelona and playing both madrid and rome myself yeah, I mean, if you're going to skip one of them, I think the obvious option would be to skip uh, Barcelona. The clay in Rome is very similar to what you have at Roland Garros, so that's a very good preparation for the French Open to go play in that tournament. 
I think that makes a lot of sense. Um, and then as far as Nadal losing, I still think he's uh, clearly the favorite. Of all the clay tournaments, Rome's the one that he's done the worst at. And by worst, I mean not amazing. You know, he's still obviously really, really good at Rome. Um, but he's lost at that tournament before and still gone on to win Roland Garros. Um, so that doesn't worry me a ton. And also you look at last year, Djokovic was having a good clay season, loses in Rome in the final, then still goes on to win Roland Garros. Um, so sometimes losing two weeks before a slam isn't the worst thing in the world. I still think Nadal a huge favorite to, to um, win at Roland Garros again this year. Yeah, I he is huge. Uh, don't get me wrong. I, I think other guys, uh, I think the percentages now will uh, uh, chip away a little bit at uh, his rock-solid mantle of uh, everybody saying, just ticking the box and giving him the trophy. I I think um, I think there, we'll talk about this in a little bit, but uh, other guys, very short list, but other guys have crept onto that list. And Jared, as you mentioned before, uh, all of the big four plus Stan, uh, 30 years old and uh, and over. Uh, I'm going to swing this back to Novak Djokovic. Uh, not only did he change clothing companies uh, to Lacoste, but probably more importantly right now, Andre Agassi has been appointed uh, to work with him uh, for Roland Garros, or actually for part of Roland Garros. I think this is going to be up to Agassi to see how long he's going to be there personally. I was totally fine with uh, what he had going on uh, the last couple weeks, his brother Marco. That's nice. That's familiarity. I I would have thought that this could have been a good buffer time for Djokovic to uh, spend some time away and and find some things out, which I think he did in Rome. Uh, That said, we've got a couple of majors in a very short period of time, Roland Garros and Wimbledon. Djokovic, I think, felt he needed something, someone in his box, uh, and that someone is none other than Andre Agassi. A lot of parallels there, Jared. They both have the career Grand Slam. They both enjoyed their best success at the Australian Open, and uh, I don't know. For me, that's where the comparison ends, and uh want to get your thoughts on this appointment. Well, I will say there are some comparisons in terms of playing style, using the two-handed backhand game right up on top of the baseline, although I don't think Djokovic is bringing in Agassi to teach him X's and O's. So I, I don't think that's a very important part of their uh, coach-player relationship. I am curious to see, though, what exactly will this relationship look like? How long will it last? Um, otherwise, I think Djokovic could just go back to traveling with his family again. Obviously, he was pretty happy doing that. He was having some good success. Um, I do remember when Djokovic hired Becker, I thought, you know, this isn't going to last very long. And I kind of have the same feeling right now about Agassi. Obviously, I was wrong about Becker. So maybe this is something that really blossoms into a good relationship that lasts three, four years and leads Djokovic to winning a handful of majors. That's the best-case scenario. Um, I I just don't foresee that. Um, But, yeah, we'll see what happens. I think uh, only good things can happen from here for Djokovic in terms of adding Agassi. Um, it's been a pretty dismal 2017, aside from a good result in Doha and now Rome. Uh, so things can only get better for Djokovic, I believe. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see. And uh, like you said, uh, forget the X's and O's. He's there in more of a Becker type of role, if you will. And Djokovic going back to bringing Becker on, saying it's for that extra 1% to 2% uh, in a match. And uh, sometimes it's those intangibles, that little tip, that little reminder, 
looking up and seeing someone like that in your box uh, sometimes is all you need to uh, hit the next serve exactly where you need to with that confidence. So, uh, Jared, before we uh, leave Rome and talk about what's going on on the ATP Tour this week, anything else uh, regarding the results in Rome or uh, what happened last week on or off the court? Yeah, well, we mentioned him really briefly. John Isner reaching the semifinals, a huge result for him, uh, particularly beating Stan Wawrinka in straight sets. Then he went on to take out Marin Cilic, played brilliantly in that third set tiebreaker. Uh, so for Isner reaching the semifinal on a clay event, uh, this is what we what we want to see from him. This is a big tournament. He's doing well. It's in Europe. Um, you know, these are all the things we kind of, I've been saying that Isner needs to do but hasn't been able to. Well, now he has. Uh, so don't want to miss that opportunity to just um, point out what a good job this was by Isner this week. That's a nice transition, Jared, because uh, guess what? John Isner back at it this week in Geneva. You know, we've seen this at the U.S. Uh, in the U.S. Uh, and much like again this year, he's going to play Winston-Salem the week before uh, the U.S. Open. John Isner in his whole career, one quarterfinal in a major to, uh, uh, I don't know, I think I would have expected much more. But uh, uh, in joining Isner in Geneva, Stan Varenka, who's got a pretty lucrative contract to to be playing that event, and then Kane Nishikori that, uh, again, uh, the injury bug has uh, ripped into his aspirations. But uh, let's concentrate, let's continue a little bit on Isner obviously skipped uh, the overwhelming majority of the clay court season in Europe. Uh, is this catch-up time for Isner? And uh, given the fact that he went all the way to the semifinals in Rome, is is it really necessary for him to be playing this week? Well, I, I don't think it would be a good idea for him to pull out last second. He has a first-round bye, so that does make things easier. He has time uh, to get over there, and he's used to playing the week before a slam. So this this is nothing new for Isner. Um, I'll, I'll be surprised if he makes a deep run here, um, but also not surprised that he didn't pull out of the tournament. So glad to see him showing up, ready to play, um, but not expecting this to last too long. Yep, and um, Stan, obviously this is contractual. Uh, he knows what he's doing. Um, I thought he had enough match play going into uh, Roland Garros, but again, um, much like Rafa playing in in Spain, it's his, it's one of his home tournaments. Uh, you know, Basel's another one, but Stan is Swiss and he's got the opportunity to play in Switzerland. I get that. It's probably a very nice payday for Stan Varinka. And then, <coughs> excuse me. And then Kane Nishikori. I think it. Uh, I think this is imperative for him to be playing, given uh, really the uh, obstacle course that he's been on so far this year. Yeah, absolutely. And really, this is a good draw of players. I was really impressed as I was looking through it this morning that, um, you know, there's no Nice this year. And normally Nice is the one tournament going on this week. And instead, a lot of the players have decided to to go over to Geneva. It's really a very strong draw, a lot lot of fun matchups. And so uh, Vavrinka and Nishikori both going to get an opportunity to play guys that they could potentially be meeting in the first week of the French Open. So I think this makes a lot of sense for them. Um, this is a great preparation for the second Grand Slam of the year. Yep, and uh, concurrent to Geneva, Jared, Lyon, France, a lot of big names there as well. Raonic, Burdich, Kyrgios, Songa, uh, Chilich played, and he's already been eliminated. But, um, yeah, Nick Kyrgios actually also playing doubles here, which is a little bit surprising. Uh, Burdich, we've seen him play the week before majors as well pretty regularly. 
Milos might feel like he needs a little bit more work uh, given his, uh, you know, on-the-shelf-ness, if you will, in 2017. Sangha, obviously, uh, congratulations, a new new dad. So we've got a, a mixed bag of why guys are playing this one. But anything jump out at you of the names I mentioned, Raonic, Burdich, Kyrgios, Sangha, Cilic, uh, pluses, minuses uh, of why they might be playing this week? Yeah, I mean, I really like Burdich coming into this one. He took a wild card, which means this is kind of a last-second decision for him. Um, nothing to lose, get some more good preparation. Then also look at where he lands in the draw. He gets Hyun Chung in the second round, so that'll be a fun match. And then he could potentially meet someone like uh, Gilles Simone, another guy who took a wild card into the event. And then in the top core of the draw, another guy that took a wild card, Juan Martin Del Potro, could be a semi for Burdich. Um, these are some top-tier guys that all kind of at the last second decided to come play this tournament. And um, I think that really adds to the quality of the event. And so we're going to see some really good tennis here. Yeah, it brings me back to Nick Kyrgios, probably not a threat at Roland Garros, but, uh, you know, was a little banged up. I'm I'm a little surprised. Uh, I can see him in the singles draw here, but uh, I, I don't quite get uh, doubles, especially who he's partnered with. Uh, any idea what Nick is doing this week? Yeah, it is a bit of a strange one. Um, you know, if you want more practice and doubles isn't the only way to do it, you can actually just go out and practice. Like, you know, it's not <laughs> like he's hurting for someone to hit a ball with. Um, so, yeah, it is a little bit confusing, his decision to play doubles. Um, obviously, he's playing with another Australian in Matt Reed, so um, perhaps there's a bit of a friendship there, and he, he's doing a friend a favor. I really don't know what exactly the reasoning is for it, um, but I, I don't think it's just because he, he needs more time to hit balls. Uh, he can do that with whoever he wants, whenever he wants. Yep, and uh, concurrent to Geneva and Lyon, Jared, uh, Roland Garros qualifying is underway. Um, something I want to talk about, Paul Henry Matu. I, I really liked him as a player. He's really been through a lot uh, coming back from injuries. Roland Garros, uh, there's been a lot of talk about Roland Garros, whom they give wild cards to, especially on the WTA side, but also the ATP side. Paul Henry Matu, it's going to be his last Roland Garros, does not get a wild card into the main draw. I don't quite understand that one. Yeah, typically the, the wild cards do go towards the younger players, guys who are looking to break through, looking to make a splash, but I, I do think it is a good idea to occasionally use those wild cards for guys like Paul and Reem Matthew or uh, Layton Hewitt took a lot of them towards the end of his career. Guys um, that, that are sticking around, guys that have been good for the sport and use it as a way to honor them uh, rather than just give a leg up to some of these younger players. Um, you know, for, for these younger guys, it's not that crucial to get a, a wild card into a grand slam when they can go to a challenger that's happening concurrently and pick up lots of ranking points that way. Um, so, yeah, it, it is an interesting decision. Obviously, it's very easy for us on the outside to second-guess who gets wild cards and who doesn't. Um, there are decisions being made in, in closed circles that we don't know about. Um, but, yeah, just, just from the outside looking in, it is a bit of a head-scratcher. Yep, and um, some names uh, we're going to talk a little bit about, uh, some of the younger guns, if you will. Uh, Jared, somebody who's been on your radar for a long time, Nicholas Jerry, um, 
you know, I was able to see him play in Tempe here at the Challenger we had and really impressed with him. In fact, the, the people who came out to the first day of qualifying were, uh, he was just crushing the ball and people were wondering why his ranking is in the 200s. And you and I talked a little bit about that. Obviously, Clay is his best surface. Um, wondering, uh, you know, he's been on your, your radar, your lists for a while now. Uh, when when might he, we be able to expect Nicholas Jerry to uh, to accomplish some good things? Oh, really? At any point? I mean, he can certainly do things now. I remember you having such a a, a strong feeling towards Jerry after seeing him play in Tempe, and I was kind of surprised by that because my scouting report basically on him was always that he just doesn't know how to play on clay. He's a good player if you could ever learn how to play on other surfaces. So the fact that you were saying good things about the way he was playing on hard um, makes me think he's going to be even more dangerous when he's on clay. So very excited to see what he can do at Roland Garros. Um, He's got a great game for clay. You mentioned he hits the ball hard, and that's kind of the makeup of a lot of the good young clay court players. They like the clay because it gives them time to run around, set up their shot, and crush the ball. And he's one of those guys that can hit through the slow surfaces, but also at the same time use the slow surfaces to give him give himself time to set up his shots. So I think uh, a lot of things really come together to make him dangerous on clay. Uh, and also he's from Chile, so he's very comfortable on the clay. He moves very naturally. Um, it doesn't look forced like it does for some of these other guys playing on clay. So, yeah, I think he could definitely do a lot of damage at Roland Garros. He's got to get his ranking up before we start seeing him do this kind of stuff consistently. Um, but he is a shot. Uh, you know, just do something spectacular here out of nowhere. Yep, and uh, another result that jumped out at me, uh, Shapovalov losing to Kopil of Romania, who broke into the top 100 uh, for the first time in his career after his result in Madrid. Very nice story, saved some match points to get a win, and then, uh, you know, he's there right now. But I um, want to get your thoughts on uh, Shapovalov, obviously, you know, in the in the news for all the wrong reasons not too long ago, but uh, – what uh, uh, he's been on your lists again? Another young gun uh, for a little while now has had a lot of good success at the at the junior level. When when, when may we expect to see Denis Shapovalov uh, really make it happen on the ATP tour? Yeah, a bit of a tough draw for Shapovalov facing the number one seed and qualifying right out of the right out of the gate. Uh, so that was tough for him. Um, if Roger Federer's the goat of the blue clay, then Denis Shapovalov's the goat of the green clay. Um, he mm-hmm. loves the green clay in the United States, absolutely dominant on that surface. It is a little bit different playing on the European clay. He doesn't have a ton of experience with that yet. So uh, that's I'm just going to chalk it up to a lack of experience on that surface, on that stage. Um, I think he can only get better from here. And also we're moving on to the to the grass now. And so he's got a very good game. For the grass, obviously being lefty is a huge advantage on the grass. If you think back to someone like a Goran Ivanisevic, who always played well on the grass. Um, even Adrian Manorino, throughout his career, has played shockingly well on grass, considering the style of game he plays. And I think just flat out being a lefty, that alone on grass is a huge advantage. Uh, mixed with that kind of good variety of shots for Shapovalov. So he's going to start getting ready for the grass season now, and I'm really excited to see what he can do there. Um, because I, th- I think that will be a big opportunity for him to make a splash. Good call. And, um, Jared, uh want to talk a little bit about uh, Roland Garros itself. Obviously, we're uh, 
just started qualifying and, and, you know, we're not going to have main draw action until this Sunday and, you know, the draw will come out later in the week. But we talked about the overwhelming favorite, Rafael Nadal. Uh, my short list uh, besides Nadal would be Stan Falrenka and Novak Djokovic, a couple other guys who've also won this tournament. Uh, how convenient. They've each won it in the last couple of years. So uh, to join Nadal there, but um, that's my short list. Uh, Next, uh, Dominic Team, I feel, uh, you know, really like what uh, I've seen from him. I think after all said and done in his career, um, I, he's going to have a couple of Roland Garros titles in his collection. Uh, not so sure about other surfaces. Alexander Zverev obviously burst onto the scene and in everybody's uh, radar, if you will, with what he might be able to accomplish. Granted, that was a best of three tournament. And then my, my long shots, if you will, Pablo Cuevas, who I think uh, is, is dangerous, although maybe not so much in a best of five. David Goffin shows what he can do. And then we talked about him earlier, Jared, John Isner. Boy, that uh, five-set scare that he gave Nadal at Roland Garros. If he gets hot, granted it would be, you know, he'd have to do this for two weeks on, on clay. But, uh, you know, I – Always think Isner is a threat if 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 it all works well. And we talked, you talked about, uh, you know, Djokovic getting served off the court by some guys before we came on the air. Uh, Isner can do that. He's got that capability to do that. That's my short list, medium list, and and long shots. How about yourself? Yeah, uh, the one guy conspicuously absent from your list, the number one seed, Andy Murray. And it is interesting how we all feel about Andy Murray right now. We know he's the number one seed. Does anyone is anyone really talking about him as a favorite? I mean, you're not the only one leaving him off your list. Uh, so it, it's an interesting situation that Andy Murray's in. You never know. He, he's so experienced. He could just put it all together at once out of nowhere, and that's exactly what it would be is out of nowhere. Um, but, yeah, I'd give him a shot. I'm, I'm going to leave him in the mix. Um, but, yeah, like we said about John Ish, you never know when he's going to have that kind of a week where he just catches fire and makes a run to the title. Um, I'll be really surprised to see Zverev go deep. Uh, in the past, when we've seen guys win their first uh, 1,000 title, usually they tend to struggle in their next major because the expectations are so high. So, I mean, I'm thinking of, like, um, when Sanga – won Cincinnati he then struggled in the U.S. Open same with Chilich last year when he won Cincinnati a lot of times you win the 1,000 which is the same caliber as a major and then you, what happens is you automatically put a lot of pressure on yourself going into the next major to do really well so uh, I, I don't expect Zverev to do too well I think just the amount of pressure he's going to be facing is going to be too much and it'll be really his first the first time in his career that he's dealing with that level of pressure so It'll be a new experience for him and uh, a bit of a learning curve. But, yeah, I, I think team's definitely in the mix. But as I said earlier, uh, Nadal, the heavy favorite in this one for sure. Now, how about uh, Cuevas and Gofan? Um, uh, maybe not to win, but uh, you like them getting to the second week? I'll even throw Fognini in there as well, although I think it would depend on the draw for him. Yeah, Cuevas, obviously a, a great clay court player. He's had his best clay results, though, on the South American clay, not so much on European clay. Um, but there's no reason he couldn't have success at Roland Garros. Gofan, I really like that one. Tennis in the last couple of years. And let's not forget, it was 
Roland Garros where a lot of people first became aware of mm-hmm. David Goffin. That's where he had his big coming out party. So uh, he's had he's tasted he's tasted success at this tournament before. Um, it can certainly happen again for guys like Fanini, Cuevas, and Goffin. A lot's going to depend where do they land in the draw. If they get a good spot in the draw, that'll help them quite a bit. Um, hopefully, you know we don't see any of them playing a Nadal or Djokovic in the first week. Um, because that would certainly ruin their chances. But otherwise, yeah, I could see them making a run into the second week of the tournament for sure. Yep, absolutely. And, uh, Jared, before we wrap up, anything uh, that you'd like to chime in on, either a player or two that we didn't necessarily talk about or anything going on off the court uh, that uh, we didn't necessarily cover tonight? Well, Tennis Sandgren got the the American wild card into the French Open. He earned it winning – or winning the American Wild Card Challenge on the play court events throughout the United States. He's also in action this week. I believe he got a lucky loser into the tournament. So, um, yeah, excited to see what he can do this week. And then, obviously, that's going to be the lead-up into what's he going to do at Roland Garros. So, he's going to be a player to keep an eye on. It's a pretty cool story, what's happening with him. And uh, just excited to see how far this can go. It kind of reminds me of, a few years ago, Brian Baker was a really cool mm-hmm. story right around this time of year. Um, so it, it's fun to see guys like this pop up and have some big-time success. Yeah, absolutely, Jared. And looking forward to uh, the rest of the action this week in Geneva. Lyon, uh, we mentioned a lot of big names in, in action this week. And obviously there will be some nice stories coming out of the Roland Garros qualifying as well. And then uh, guess what? We've got a draw coming up at the end of the week. And Roland Garros, the only of the majors that is a 15-day schedule. So uh, we get underway on Sunday, that extra day um, on a weekend, no less, uh, to get underway at, at the French. So on behalf of Jared Pine, this is Pete Zebron saying good night. We'll catch you next week on Replay the Point. Good night.